Beaver Creekside Church. So glad you could worship with us this morning. Appreciate you joining us. If you're part of our regular church family, we're just encouraged that you're able to stay connected. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. Glad to have you with us. I was reading this morning in Psalm 31, verse 24, where the psalmist says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. I trust that each of you are able to take some time during these unusual times to stay connected with the Lord. And we trust and pray that you'll be connected with each other. Spending some time calling and maybe FaceTiming or doing whatever you need to do social media-wise to stay connected. Just like to remind you, at the end of the service, we will be celebrating communion together. So if you haven't prepared for that, you might want to go to the fridge and grab some juice, grab a piece of bread or something, and we'll celebrate the Lord's table as we end the service today. Just a few announcements to let our regular church family know what's going on. The Haiti short-term mission trip is coming up. If you're interested in signing up for that, you want to get a hold of Norb or Karen Metzler. That'll be September 30th through October 9th, Lord willing. There's also a baby shower that's being planned a little unconventionally, I guess, a diapers and wipes collection. If you're able to purchase that and help shower the Brants, they're expecting their, their second here in June. We're excited for them. We also, during this time, downtime, there's some spring cleaning that could be done here at the church. If you're willing to help us out with that, I'd appreciate it if you'd just get a hold of Megan and she'll connect you with what needs to be done and the time frame that can get it done so that we aren't all in the building at the same time, which would be a violation of our social distancing practices. I'd like to call to your attention that next Sunday night, we're going to do an online prayer, family prayer time. And we hope that you'll be able to join us at 6.30 p.m. Information on how to get connected with that service will come at a later time during this week if you just check the Creekside News for details. And that may be foreign to you. If you don't know what Creekside News is or you don't know how to get information on any of this stuff, I really would encourage you to go to our website, www.creeksidedm.com, and there you can click on the staff link and They'll give you an email address for Megan, who is our administrative assistant. You can get a hold of her, and then she'll get you the information that you need, and then you'll be able to get updated on the Creekside News, which is an email service. You know, it's really my pleasure in just a few seconds here. Our, our good brother Kyle Clarkson will be leading us this morning back into the Word, into our study of the Sermon on the Mount. He's one of our elders and one of our preaching team members, and so it's just going to be a real encouragement to hear from him as he brings us back to our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verses 21 through 24, I'm going to read them here. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. We pray, God, that they 
uh, would resonate with our hearts. Um, God, help us uh, in this time uh, to seek you, uh, to listen to your word, to listen to the words of Jesus, and God, live changed lives. We ask it, pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So a little different feel for me this morning. Uh, usually if I kind of get lost in the thought, I can just look back and make fun of my dad, but uh, he's not here today, so I'll have to choose Steve or someone else, so thank you for that. <clears throat> um, we are going to talk this morning about mending relationships, and I have four points that I want to make in this idea of mending relationships, and as we talk about this, I, I think in relationship, there's, there's a constant need for repair, and what we want to see is some, uh, the importance of this in our Christian relationships. So here, here are the four points we're going to make this morning. Uh, number one, the priority of mending relationships. Second, the parts of mending relationships. Third, progression of mending relationships. And fourth, the power of mending relationships. So let's jump in to verse 21 here, the priority of mending relationships. Verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. You read that verse, and that's probably not a big surprise, right? You read it, and I think we're all probably in agreement that murder is a bad thing, that we should not murder. And so we look at that verse and like, yeah, right on. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't murder. I know it's wrong. I don't think we should do that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on board with it. So everyone knows and agrees we shouldn't kill. It's a universal truth, and about anybody is going to believe that and agree with you. But, he continues on, verse 22, <clears throat> but I tell you, Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, so he shifts. We, we have this universal belief, and, and no one is going to struggle with this idea that we shouldn't murder. But Jesus takes it another step. And it's kind of like, uh, think of a plant. Maybe, you know, there's like the, the hemlock plant that can be poisonous if you eat it. And you think about the plant. Well, we know the plant is bad. But also, for any plant that is wrong or bad, guess what else is? the seed that produces that. And so what Jesus is saying is, okay, we know that murder is bad, but I want you to understand that the seed that produces that is also bad. And so for us, as, as to, to be a follower of Jesus, we know murder is bad, but we also want to understand the seed from which that comes from is also bad. So he says anyone who is angry if there's anger in your heart, if there's resentment, if you're holding a grudge, all of those things are the seed that leads to murder. There's a poison that leads to it. And what Jesus wants us to understand here is that if you have that in your heart, if you have that anger, if you have that resentment, if you hold a grudge against someone, that is the seed to which leads to it. There's a, a show right now, and I do not recommend this show, uh, but there's a show out right now, and if you jump on Facebook or you see anything else, you'll, you'll see memes about it all the time. Uh, that show is called The Tiger King, okay? And the premise of this show, The Tiger King, is there's several characters, and they, they, they are characters, okay? But uh, two particular characters in the show, Joe Exotic and Carol Baskins, and this is a documentary uh, so they're telling the story. And so they're kind of on opposite ends. This Joe Exotic, he, he is the Tiger King, and he has all these tigers in this park and this farm where all of these exotic animals live. 
Well, and then the other side of it is this Carol Baskins who's trying to really end the captivity of these animals, although Joe has accused her of murdering her first husband who just disappeared. And so there's all this drama that takes place. And so it starts as, you know, just kind of this this uh, back and forth, and he's writing songs against her, and he's kind of saying things against her, and she's doing the same thing. And as it progresses, and this is months and years of this taking place, but as it progresses, uh, this Joe is now in prison for hiring someone to attempt to murder Carol Baskins. And so the idea is, you know, this is where it begins, right? There's a seed is planted, and there's an anger and a resentment and a grudge that if left unattended in your heart begins to grow and and the truth of it you know most of it are not going to be I mean that's a a, you know an example of far-fetched example of what happens and 99.9999 whatever percent of the time that seed of resentment that seed of anger uh, that seed of holding a grudge does not lead to murder but what Jesus wants to understand help, help us understand here is that you don't want that poison you know, to, to take root in your heart. That we don't want to be out there walking around with these, this, this grudge or, or this anger in our heart because if we let it go, it begins to grow. It begins to grow and impact our life. And uh, I can, I'm sure we all maybe have firsthand stories, but for me, I, I struggle with this at times. And it's kind of always interesting when you're getting ready to, to preach on a passage and you begin to read it and God kind of reminds you of your own fault in your life, right? And had an instance uh, some, somewhat recently with one of my closest friends and where we, you know, was just kind of boiled over and end up yelling at him. And, you know, uh, I would like to tell you that five minutes later I, I made it better and uh, approached him, but really took the course of a couple days when, you know, this conviction of, okay, and it was just boiling up in my heart and God speaking to me like, hey, you got to make this right. Uh, and so, to call and to say, you know what, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I acted this way. I'm sorry I did these things. And what had happened is, you know, I, I let a, a little thing begin to fester. And all of a sudden, two or three days, and it blew up and I blew up at him. And what Jesus wants to understand is like, this is what happens. Like, that's the seed, right? That, that plant that is wrong or that plant that is bad begins as a seed and it begins to grow. And that's what can happen in our hearts as we hold a grudge or... Uh, we have bad feelings or ill feelings towards someone that begins to grow and the possibility exists in there with it. So where does this come from that would cause this anger or this resentment or these bad feelings, these harsh feelings or this grudge? Uh, look at verse 22, the second half of it. It says this, Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what leads to that anger, grudge, or resentment? It's a disdainful attitude, a dismissive heart, a sneering spirit that leads to those things. Uh, When you see Raka there, really it's basically saying like, you idiot, right? You, You, whatever, you idiot is probably a good word for it. Or you fool, as he goes on to say. And it's looking at someone and in our heart making that statement, right? Like, man, you idiot. And I am, uh, if I had confession time here, like I've already had, I would tell you, like, that's something that creeps up in my heart quite a bit. 
uh, if you spend any time on Facebook or some other social media platform, it will only take you about five or ten minutes scrolling through, and eventually you're going to see something, especially right now, everybody's got an opinion about everything. And there are some pretty far-fetched opinions. And, and if you look, you're, there's people that are way over here and those people that are way over here, and you look at some of those things, and sometimes you're just like, man, you idiot. So I think I'm going to just start saying rocket so people have no idea that I'm calling them an idiot. But I'm going to, my point is that this happens within our heart, right? We see something, we hear something, and that's our response. And it's this haughty spirit or a dismissive spirit. It's really us looking down on someone, right? And that, it's that spirit that begins to be the root of the problem that Jesus is talking about. Right? That's where it begins. And so, again, we go back. We know the idea of murder is bad, but Jesus wants to point us like, hey, get to the, the root. Get to the seed of where that problem all begins. And I think um, how much of that becomes murder or violence or even anger, it's not often, right? It's not often that those things where I may be just sitting on Facebook and then it leads to anger and hatred and murder, right? That's, that's not what happens. That's not what normally happens. But Jesus wants us to understand our heart and it festers and it lives there. Then it begins to grow. I remember uh, showing a house. <clears throat> this is a long time ago, probably 10 years ago now, showing a house to a couple, Scott and Teresa Anderson. They're looking at this house. And I remember this very distinctly because there are houses that stick out. And we're looking at this house and we go into the basement. And if you've ever been in some basements, Uh, They are dreary and dark, and they're just a place where nasty things can grow, right? And this particular basement, uh, this house had not been cared for for a while, but you walk in, and the basement is probably four or five feet deep of water. Like, you have to wear something to drudge through the water. And then there's these mushrooms and mold growing on the walls. And so at at that, I'm like, you know what, I'll just go wait outside. If you want to look at this, and so we came back another time, and he's in a full suit going down there, looking at the mold and all the water and the mushrooms growing. It was, it was disgusting. And you get this picture of our heart. As I look at the basement, it's kind of like our heart can be the same way where all of these things gather. And if that water, that didn't happen overnight, right? That water didn't gather overnight. Those mushrooms didn't grow overnight. That mold didn't grow overnight. But the longer we let that stay like that and fester and grow, the worse it becomes, the more ugly it becomes, the more damaging, in that case, damaging to the whole house and how much thousands of dollars had to be poured into to, to restore this house because it was let go. And what Jesus wants us to understand, man, our heart is the same way, kind of like a dark and dreary basement that if nothing's done with it, it's a place where these things can build up and stay and begin to grow. And so what Jesus wants to understand, like, you have to deal with it. As I'm there and I'm seeing, oh, you idiot or you fool or this anger or resentment or grudge begins to grow, we need to understand that when it does happen, we need to deal with what's going on. And so he gives the illustration in this, right? He says, therefore, in verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Reconciled here means, or in general, means to return the relationship to warmth 
or intimacy. So we had a relationship that was probably a pretty solid relationship, but something has happened, right? Something has happened that has caused harm to this relationship. And what is Jesus saying is you got, you got to go and you need to reconcile this relationship. We need to restore it to where it was before. And so we see this, and because our heart is like how we just described it, it's always filled with that, and it leads down that destructive relationship or, or destructive path, uh, we're always in a need to repair it. And so he gives us an illustration, I think, that can be a little lost on us. We see that, like, okay, go, we're going to go leave our gift at the altar, Right? And so you can drive down a street here in Urbandale or street about anywhere in America, and you can see there are churches everywhere, right? And so we get this picture in our mind, okay, before I go to church, before I leave my gift at the altar, you know, I need to take care of this, okay? It seems easy enough, right? I'm, before I go to church today, well, let's take care of this. And, and that's true. Like, he wants us to take care of it. He wants to take care of it right away. But the point, uh, I, I, it's almost a little ridiculous. What, what he's saying here is, in Jerusalem, or, uh, in this time, there was, there was one altar, and it was in Jerusalem at the temple. Like, this was the place. And for some people, they would have to travel days to get to the temple, to come to the altar, and lay their gift in front of the altar. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, you made that trip two days, or whatever, however long, and you don't do it very often, right? And you come to the altar to lay your gift, but before you do that, you've got a relationship that needs to be made right. And so Jesus' point is, like, this is the seriousness of it. Even though you may have traveled days and you've only done it this, this one time a year, you need to go back and you need to make that relationship right. You need to repair it, restore it, mend the relationship. This is what Jesus wants us to, to, to understand. Like, it's not simply I'm going to pick up the phone and, like, hey, here's what happened, then I'll go on and, and, and worship. This is the seriousness in which Jesus wants us to understand the importance to, to mend and repair those broken relationships. That we need to do it before we do anything else. We need to repair. And it's, it seems like a pretty ridiculous statement, but that's the seriousness of it. And that's what Jesus wants us uh, to, to comprehend on it. Uh, Paul makes a statement in Ephesians chapter 4, right? Don't let the sun set on your anger. And it's the same thing. Paul wants us to understand, as Jesus wants us to, uh, to understand, like, if you let it fester, if you let it grow, it's going to be like that dark and dreary basement where there's mold and there's mushrooms and there's water and it's ruining your very heart, right? So we don't want to let it hang around. We don't want to let it fester. And, and so like Paul said and like Jesus said, man, take care of it. Take care of it now. And I think it's important to look at it in our own lives and, and think about the relationships in our own life that, that maybe need mending, that maybe need that to look at. So how do I know that I have a relationship that needs mending? I, I just wrote down a few examples for us to examine our own heart. I, I think it's important as we look at this and we hear the words of Jesus that we take time and examine, okay, what is Jesus saying to me about broken relationships or relationships that need to be mended? And here's some examples. Uh, first of all, if you look at someone, kind of like we said earlier, and I'm looking at Facebook or whatever, and I say, Raka, you idiot, right? There's something wrong. Now, this isn't to say people aren't idiots because th they are, uh, and there's plenty of idiots out there. Uh, no, no offense to those people, but there are. There are people who are, they're, they're idiots. So the question for me is not, 
okay, is that person an idiot or not? But the question is my response to those people. Listen, there's people that have a different belief system than we do. There's, there's people that don't understand the saving power of Jesus, that their lives have not been transformed by the gospel. So, of course, they're going to have a different belief system and a different life and, and, and different beliefs. That's going to happen. So, so the question is, I look at those people, how does my heart respond to them? Is there a, a sadness or a sympathy for those people? Or do I look at them in disdain? Because that's where the beginning of your heart getting haughty and hard happens. So as I look at those people, it's not that they're, I look at it and say, oh, you know, maybe they're right. They might not be. But how is my heart responding to those people? Another example would be if you know someone and something bad happens to them. Have you ever had this before where there's someone maybe that your relationship is not right with and something bad. Maybe they didn't get promotion at work or maybe something went wrong and it's, you sense a, a little bit of like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that happened. Right? Well, then there's an issue within my heart if that's my response. Maybe it's an irritation uh, when someone uh, does something that someone else does that wouldn't have bothered you. Right? Maybe this person does the exact same thing, but it only bothers me when this person does it. Well, then there's, there's an issue. There's something growing, that disdain or that grudge that's growing. Uh, maybe you feel a coldness in the relationship, or even more, just be, uh, begin to try to avoid the person. Well, then there's an issue in that relationship. A next step, if you, if you pass along negative information about it, have you found joy in saying something about someone, right, negative information, and you found joy in telling someone else about it? Well, there's an issue in that relationship. If there's friction every time you are with them, there's an issue that you need to deal with. Uh, what we see is that it doesn't matter so as we look at Matthew 5, it doesn't matter if someone has something against you, and that's what we see here in Matthew 5, like hey, if something has, someone has something against you, buy your gift, leave your gift, go, go make it right before you leave your gift at the altar. If you would go and you'd, you'd look in Matthew 18, it's the opposite. It says that if you have something against someone else, you have to deal with it. But either time, you have to deal with it. Right? Whether someone has an issue against you or you have someone against an issue against them, you are the one that is called to deal with that issue. The, the, the truth and the reality is that we are built for relationships. Like that is how God has designed us. He has built us for relationship. And so as we attempt and try to live within those relationships, there's nothing more important than to make and mend those relationships where they're broken. We are meant for, we are meant for deep, important relationships, for friendships. And this is especially true even within marriage, right? And I think of so many times in my own marriage, and, you know, Karen and I will both, you know, talk about the fact that our marriage has gotten stronger and deeper the longer we've been together. Because early on, you know, we were trying to figure things out, right? we you know, hadn't lived with somebody else before or done anything like that before. And so there's this selfishness that was coming in and there was this fact that, yeah, well, whatever, I want to be right. And there was friction within the marriage. But the longer we've been together and the longer we've lived together and we realize, you know what, part of this is, is just forgiving each other. Part of it is going, hey, like, 
this is how you've hurt me. Can we work through it? And there's this, there's this need to continually mend a relationship. And so Karen and I, even today, one thing I really appreciate about her is when there is an issue, she is always wanting to make it right. And so she does a much better job than I like to let it fester, right? Because I'm right, you know, and I, or I think I'm right. And so I like to, you know, to think, oh man, I'm, she is so wrong in this deal. I'm so right. And she'll, she'll come to me and she'll be the one to make it right. And that's what we see in Matthew 5, Matthew 18. It doesn't matter if it's my fault or her fault or whatever relationship. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's on me to go and make that relationship right, to mend the relationship. So marriage is a great example of where this plays out. We want to continue as whether I feel wronged, whether they've done something to me or I've done something to them, that I go and I seek to mend the relationship. And one of the greatest things that happens when, when you, for Karen and I, when we work through those issues, I mean, there's a deepening of the relationship. There's a deepening and understanding of each other, right? As we go through these struggles and maybe she has certain beliefs on something, I have certain beliefs on something. And then when you work through it and there's that closeness and that oneness that happens through working through and mending that relationship. And it's an ongoing thing, unfortunately, right? It's not like we don't have issues uh, you know, maybe year one was there, but here we are in year 18 and everything is good. That's not the case. We continually work through it because I know my heart. I know my heart. And so we see that, the priority of mending relationship. The second part of this is the parts of mending relationship. So we see the priority of it. Now, second part is the parts of it. And there's two parts. The first is repentance and the second forgiveness. So let's look at each one really quick. Repentance. Matthew 5 here is telling us that if you have an issue with someone, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. If you have an issue, go and be reconciled. If someone has something against you, you are the one leading with repentance. You are not coming to someone to say, you know what? You did this to me. You did something wrong. Uh, Think of the example I just gave you of my wife and I. You know, in a certain scenario, maybe I'm 80% wrong and she's 20% wrong. I don't know. It seems a little far-fetched. But, but let's say that is the scenario. Well, what she does so well, even though maybe only 20% is on her, she comes and she owns that 20%. And so repentance is saying, you know what? I'm coming to you. And I'm not coming to you to say where you've wronged me or hey, you know what, I did this, but he might have done something too. No, it's coming and saying, this is where I've wronged you. And I'm going to own that 20%. I'm going to own whatever portion of this uh, hurt and repair that need. I'm going to own whatever I did. And it's not coming saying, okay, now, now it's your turn, right? No, it's me owning. I mean, that's true repentance is owning what I've done. Where I, I know what I've done, I've owned it, I make no excuse for that portion that I've, done, I've wronged him. And secondly, it means asking for forgiveness. So the first thing is saying, you know what? I own what I did, and then I want to ask for forgiveness in that. And the third thing would say, okay, now that I've, I've owned it and I've asked for forgiveness, I need to change, right? We don't want to keep going back and doing what we did before. And so if I have something I continually do, well, man, am I really sorry for it? If I continue to do it time and time again, no, I need to own it. 
ask for forgiveness, but I need to see change in my life and what steps need to take place to see that change in my life. Maybe there's accountability that needs to take place with, with friends or whoever else. Maybe we need to put those things in place so we begin to see true change in our life. And until you have done all of these things, you have not truly repented. If we've owned our mistake and our sin, if we've asked for forgiveness in it, and then we've changed. If we've not, uh, we've not truly changed. So the second part, uh, if you, uh, the other side of this forgiveness, we see in Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will say 70 times seven, right? It's not a magic number. Jesus is just saying like, hey, listen, there is no end to it. We need to continue to forgive. If somebody's wrong, we continue to forgive. Forgiveness, a few things you need to know to truly understand forgiveness. First of all, you have to know you are a sinner saved by grace. And if God held any of our sins against us, we would be lost. And so we can't truly forgive or we can't truly understand the power of forgiveness till we've understood it in our own life with God. That we have wronged him and if he held those wrongs against us, we would be deeply and utterly lost. And so we, we need to understand that in our own lives. And when it resonates within our own lives, then we begin uh, to, to, to understand how we can offer it to someone else. If you don't know the truth of the gospel, then it's difficult to be able to forgive as God has called us to do. It has to be living within us if we truly can't keep a grudge. I, there was a, a story from last year about Botham Jean who was shot. And Botham Jean was shot uh, in his own apartment building where an officer, Amber uh, Geiger, walked in walked into the wrong apartment and shot Botham Jean. And then the trial a year ago took place, and this is Brant Jean, Botham's brother. And I'm going to read the transcript because I want you to see how he responds. And you want to understand forgiveness. To me, this is a, a great example of someone in this life who understands the gospel and can truly forgive someone who has wronged him in such a deep way. Here's what he said. He says, if you are truly are sorry, I can speak for myself, I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it, again, I'm speaking for myself, but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I presently want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. And you probably saw this clip when it happened. He asked the judge, can, can I give her a hug? And he walks down off that and, and there he, he is and he, he gives her a hug and they embrace for about a minute. That's forgiveness, isn't it? She walked into her brother's apartment, not intentionally, and shot him, serving 10 years in prison for it. 
That would be a difficult thing to forgive. Yet it's, it's clear that this individual has experienced the forgiveness of God in his own life through the death of Jesus on the cross. And because he's understood it, he can offer it to someone else. When we stay angry at someone, we're really saying, you know, that's something I would never do. And, and it's probably true. Like, you know, in that instance, we'd probably never walk into an apartment and do what, what Amber Geiger, she was, she was an off-duty police officer and she walked in and, you know, I don't, I don't know her heart, I don't know her intentions or anything like that, but we'd probably never do that. Not exactly like that, but we do other things, right? And to not forgive someone else of their actions is not truly understand that God has forgiven us of our actions and he's not held it against us because of Jesus. And when we understand the gospel, the less we can stay angry at people. The definition of forgiveness is to give up the right to see repayment. And we saw it in that illustration, right? He's like, I don't even want you to go to jail. I don't even want you to go there, right? Probably what she deserved, maybe what she deserved. But he's saying, I don't even want it to give up. That's true forgiveness. I think the natural thing when somebody wrongs us, when somebody wrongs you, what's the natural thing we want to happen? And we want to get even, right? Somebody does something to me, I want to, I want to see him pay. I want to get even. Uh, again, I'm giving a lot of illustrations to make me look bad today, but this is an illustration from this week. And, uh, you know, there was a, I had done a real estate deal with this individual, and I was on the list side. My house was listed, and she brings a buyer, and we negotiate a deal, went smoothly, and I helped her, uh, you know, get the deal done and all that. And this week, I'm writing an offer, and uh, I've had this buyer that's been looking for a while. She just sold her house in northern Iowa, She's going to pay cash for it once she gets the proceeds. And so we write this offer, and all of a sudden it drags out, it drags out. And in the end, it seems to me she used our offer to get a better offer from someone else. So I was a little upset. And then I started thinking in my mind, Araka, right, you know. Uh, and what I want to see, well, I hope that deal falls apart. Well, I can't wait till the next time she brings an offer to me because I'm going to make her suffer, right. And that's, that's the spirit that Jesus is speaking about and against in, in Matthew 5 here. Right? It's that seed that grows. And it's easy to respond that way. Like when somebody's wrong you, like, yeah, I'm going to wrong them back. But that's not what Jesus wants. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. To forgive is to forego repayment. Here's how to do it. First of all, it's not a feeling, right? If I base things on my feelings, I'd, I'd be in trouble. It's granted before it is felt. It's a promise not to beat them up in your heart, right? Not to beat them up in their heart, not to beat them up in your heart, not to beat them up when you're face-to-face or to other people. And finally, man, to pray for them. Like you want to see change in you and how you respond to people? Start praying for that person. Start asking God, God, help me to be loving towards them. Help me not to have that haughty spirit towards them. God is going to change your heart towards that person. Power a prayer is a powerful thing. If we don't forgive, evil wins because it, it begins to fester. It begins to build up, as Jesus was talking about. It makes us bitter and it makes us angry. Those are the parts of a mending relationship, repentance and forgiveness. The third is the progression of mending relationships. Here's, the, here's how it happens. First of all, it needs to happen within your own heart first that I need to go to God first and God I need you to 
like the illustration I just gave and, and my response to that, God, I, I need you to work in, in my heart. And most of the time, I don't then need to go to that person and make it right. Like, I'm not going to call that agent up and like, hey, I want to tell you, I thought you were in it. Right, I'm not going to do that. I want God, I'm going to get right with God first. It needs to happen in my own heart first. Mark 11:25 says this. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. It begins in your own heart first. It always begins with you. And most of the time then, I don't have to go to that next step. I don't have to go and talk with them. If you do that work first, only then can you do what we see here in Matthew 5. First, and go and be reconciled. So once I've gone to God and I've I've confessed my sin with God, then that next step happens that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Go and be reconciled. And if you go to someone and I say, if I offended you, I'm sorry. (laughs) What kind of response? What are we saying? If I offended you. We'll tell them, wow, you're so petty. You're, you're so insensitive, right? Again, I go back to what I said earlier. I go back and I own my own part of this, right? And I don't look uh, to, to bring out the wrongs that they've done. You're essentially sticking a knife in them. If you haven't first confessed to God and asked forgiveness, there, then you shouldn't be seeking to reconcile. Reconcile with God first and then go reconcile with the individual, if you go, and we talked about Matthew 18 earlier, but Matthew 18, it mentions that if you have a problem with someone, go to them. So we see in Matthew 5, they have an issue with you. In Matthew 18, you have an issue with them, but both cases, as I mentioned earlier, we go and seek to make it right. It doesn't matter who's more to blame. If there's a relationship that's unraveling, it's always your move. And so if you have a relationship in your life right now, and whether you wronged them or they wronged you, it's your move. It's your move to mend that relationship. And go to God and ask him to soften your heart towards that person. And then go and seek to mend it. Romans 12, 18 says this, If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We can't control anyone else, right? We can't control what they do or how they respond or if they forgive or they repent, but we can control what we do. And so we want to go before God, and we want to confess our sins. We want to confess where we maybe have hurt someone. And then we want to seek forgiveness with that person. If at all possible, as far as it depends, live at peace with everyone. That's the progression, right? It begins with getting it right before God, and then to take it to them. The last thing we see is the power of mending relationships. And here's where it comes from. It comes from our source, right? It comes from God who has forgiven us. And how has he done it? Well, he took our place. We're going to take the bread and the juice and uh, we're going to look upon the cross and understand that he bore our debt so we didn't have to pay it. I love, I love that story, and if you haven't seen that video, go listen to, to Brant um, Botham and him on that stand forgiving Amber Geiger. It's a cool story. It's a cool story. But Jesus has done even more, right? 
Like in Brant could have offered, I'll go spend those years in jail. And what he did is unbelievable. But what Jesus has done, like our, what we deserved is, is death. What we deserved is hell. But you know what he did? He went and paid our debt by going to the cross. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But Jesus bore it by going to the cross. The power of a mended relationship begins with God. That he has mended my relationship, my broken relationship with him because I have sought Jesus and Jesus has sought me and my sins have been forgiven because of what he did on the cross. Jesus did so much more. He forgave, but he actually took our place and he took the punishment upon himself. And he experienced infinitely more to repair that relationship. Isn't that an amazing thing that he has done? And so as we end, if you have your bread and juice at home, we want to invite you to join us to remember Jesus, to remember this amazing thing, this incredible thing that he did to mend our broken relationship with God. He went to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. So as we celebrate, we're going to break the bread and take the juice to remember what he has done. Let me pray. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5. God, we want to live a life as Jesus has called us to live. And we know that, God, if we have issues with people, if we have a haughty spirit, if we have a hard heart towards people, God, we want to mend that. It begins first with mending our relationship with you. God, if there's people that do not know your son Jesus, that have not have a mended relationship with you, first and foremost, that they would understand it. God, that happens through the bread and the juice. It happens, we remember it through the bread and the juice. It happens through surrendering our life to your son Jesus. And God, we want to remember it now as we take the bread and the juice. God, we thank you for Jesus, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.